0: so much for joining us on the CCA California podcast. My name is Chris once again this week with you. So grateful to be with you. Before we get started, make sure to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram at CCA California. Guys, we see it every single week. We see those numbers grow. We certainly are grateful for it for you as a listener and for everyone who supports CCA in general. Also, as a reminder, don't forget to become a member of CCA for $35 a year. All you have to do is go to joincca.org, and uh, you will become a member. Today's guest is a very great friend of mine. We see each other pretty often, especially during the trade show season. We've got Brad Van Zyl.
1: Van Zyl. Van yeah. Van Zyl right. like crocodile.
0: Yeah. Okay. Brad Van Zyl <laughs> from Western Outdoor News. Brad. Good to be with you man. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Darren, good
1: to see you guys or hear you guys.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. We are recording uh remotely today, but uh Brad, first and foremost before we get started, when was the last time we went fishing?
1: Oh man, that's uh that's a loaded question, huh? So, <laughs> it shouldn't be, it should be like yesterday, but I know. Uh, I you know what in this position, so I'm at, obviously at Western Outdoor News we have so many tournaments and the funny thing about these tournaments is we're working them. So you can't fish mm-hmm. in them. So I've watched a lot of fish be caught, be weighed. And, uh, I've, I'm constantly surrounded by fish. It's just, I'm not the one catching them because I'm the one, <laughs> uh, you know, handing out checks at our San Diego offshore jackpot. That was just last week mm-hmm. or, uh, at our one bass event, everybody else is going out fishing, but, Uh, I'm sitting there watching them have all the fun, I guess. So honestly, the last time I went fishing was probably at, uh, you know what? It was at the Striper Derby in Lake Havasu, uh, just a couple months ago, but it it feels like I go fishing a lot more often than I actually do.
0: (laughs) You know, I, (laughs) I find myself in that position so many times you and I could relate in that because it's, it's like that old old adage where if you really want to keep fishing, just don't get in the fishing industry. It's oh yeah,
1: real. yep. I I've never fished less, <laughs> than, <laughs> but I've I've never been surrounded by more fish in my life, right? Like yeah, yeah. bigger fish than I've ever s- s- caught myself. I'm seeing them at the scales at our tournaments, or you know, whenever there's a big story, we're seeing the pictures first thing. I'm I'm constantly surrounded by it, but uh, I'm just not in it myself as often as I as as, as I used to be.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, you know, honestly, as as a fellow fisherman, we can't, there's always a not enough fishing or we can we don't go fishing enough, regardless of, of your skill set or whatnot. Never oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. But No, uh, I, I've yet to meet the guy that's like, no, I've, I've done enough fishing. I'm good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I don't
2: think you'll ever meet that guy. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, Brad, before we go any, any further into fishing, you've got a very interesting background. Tell us a little bit about yourself, man.
1: Oh, well, thank you for saying it's interesting. I I (laughs) hope I don't put everybody to sleep with this one. But uh, I so I've been at Western Outdoor News for just over a year now. And before that, uh, I come from a entertainment media background. So I uh, I used to work on TV shows behind the scenes, uh, building sets and uh, doing that fun behind the scenes stuff that you wake up at 2 a.m. and you go home at 1 a.m. type of a, type of a job. Oh my god! And yeah, and then uh, and then I got other, you know, back behind the scenes positions. I used to work at Sony pictures, CBS television, and NBC universal. So I've been over the giant media companies and, uh, I've kind of gone through that machine of, uh, of big, big media. And then, uh, about a year ago, Chuck Buhager who had the position here before me at Western outdoor news as general manager, uh, stepped away and, I, you know, a little bit of nepotism, I did marry into the family, I am uh, married to one of the uh, the Twilliger daughters, Michelle is my wife, who also works here with me. Uh, but obviously, there was there was a void. And it was, you know, in the middle of the hectic COVID uh, craziness that everybody was experiencing a year ago. And, uh, and I decided to step away from the big giant worldwide media companies to a very niche uh Western outdoor news. I mean it, it is what it is. If you're listening to this podcast, I think you have a connection with Western outdoor news probably similar to the one that I had uh before I even ever worked here. Was I used to read Western outdoor news. I, I well of course I still do, but uh I, I had such a strong connection with the brand and I I I kind of jumped in with both feet and here I am a year in and I've gone on the most insane adventure I could have ever imagined. I've been everywhere from Cabo to Mojave to just, I've traveled everywhere, uh, not done as much fishing as I thought I might've (laughs) done, but I've seen a lot of fish and made a lot of incredible memories just in the first year that I've had here. So big transition in my life. And, uh, and it's, it's definitely been really fulfilling.
0: That's awesome, man. I mean, that's, I mean, that I've, you know, after com- conversing with you at trade shows and all that, you know, I already knew you had a very interesting background, especially from the NBC side and and the, it, it's more kind of like film, right? You, you were more on the film side.
1: Well, so no, so local, local news media actually was where I last ended up with NBC and I was more on the research side. So this is where everybody really goes to sleep here on a fishing (laughs) podcast, talking about (laughs) research. Uh, but it was about audiences and what makes a good news story and, and what keeps people's attention. And I, I was the, uh, the guy pulling the strings behind the scenes, telling, uh, telling the newscasters what works, what doesn't work, and I learned a ton. And I thought I could uh, take some of that knowledge and skill set and bring it over to the fishing world and into Western Outdoor News, into the new generation here at uh, at the publication.
0: Nice, very cool, man. I know with you know with Western Outdoor News, you kind of grew up you know, reading it. And, you know, well, back then, it was really much all reading. But I know, you know, you had mentioned that one has uh, has a podcast, which you're the host of. And right, uh, I've, I've actually been fortunate enough to be on it. Um, I don't know why, but I was <laughs> about a year ago. But, yeah, coastal uh, social. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coastal social. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the podcast. And uh, I think it's weekly, right?
1: It's weekly, yes, and uh, it's 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 my baby over here. I I continue doing it because I I started it before I even worked here. I I thought that there was a void in fishing podcasts, especially for Western Outdoor News, to be more news oriented and more on the the cutting edge of like what's actually happening and hearing the the stories that we have in the paper because we we have so many big news stories and, and world records and all these interesting stories. And it's one thing to see the pictures and read about them in the paper, but my idea was, wouldn't it be great to actually hear from the guy that caught that world record or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like we just had the guy that caught a striper in, in Dana Point Harbor. It's not like a world record, but it's interesting. And now you get to hear it directly from him and you see, you can hear his excitement and you can hear, uh, you can hear way more than you can read when it comes to, uh, to to the podcast. So it's a good, I like to describe it as a companion to Western Outdoor News. So you still get the paper and you see the pictures and you can uh, read the stories in full detail. But if you actually want to hear it straight from the horse's mouth, that's where the Western Outdoor News podcast comes in.
0: That's actually really clever to where, you know, I remember when the Western Outdoor News podcast first came out and you know, I heard your name, heard your voice and all that. And, you know, I kept listening to it every week, still do. And all of a sudden you were named as, uh, as the GM of Western outdoor news. I'm like, Holy crap. That's like quite a (laughs) jump here.
1: Yeah. A little bit of a jump, but I mean, podcast host to, uh, to work in the ins and outs of this company here, it's been it's been a huge jump for me. Uh, mm-hmm. I've never experienced quite uh, uh, a shock from going from these giant companies to uh, you know a small family owned company that's been around since 1953. It's it's first of all it's an honor to even be in this position, and I don't take that for granted at all. I I hope anybody that works in our office here, we have a, a small crew, but anybody would probably say that I do not take this for granted at all. I uh, I know what's on my shoulders. And I actually have a picture of our founder, Burt Twilliger, sitting staring at me every day, judging every move <laughs> I make. So I do not take this lightly. And I, I know how much Western Outdoor News means to everybody. And I want to make sure that it it means that for the next generation as well.
0: Yeah. And, you know, the the, the one word that comes to mind for or to me wh- about Western outdoor news is legacy. I mean, you, you said it yourself where it's it's been around since 1953 and, and all that. I, I know, you know, still do growing up, basically your one goal in, in your fishing career or quest or whatever you want to <laughs> call it. Your one goal was to get your picture on the cover of Western outdoor news. Oh it yeah. Still is the truth of it today.
1: Oh it is and I'll I'll prove it. We get emails and phone calls every week of people begging us, please, I this is a cover, right? Can this fit on the cover? This is great. It'd be a great cover. And it it's to this day, it there's nothing more prestigious than being on the cover of Western Outdoor News, I feel like. And I'm a little bit biased, but mm-hmm. my gosh, people people fight tooth and nail to to land on a cover of Western Outdoor News. But it's ultimately uh, our editorial department's choice, and depending on the stories that week, and of course, a quality photo. Mm-hmm. That And that's kind of one thing. The first thing I kind of wanted to get in, into with everybody on this podcast, anybody listening, it take the extra two seconds to take a good quality photo, because sometimes it's, it's definitely quality over quantity. If you mm-hmm. took the time to take a great photo and send it into us and it's only one photo that's all it takes as opposed to sometimes we get 20 photos but you can tell the guys didn't want to make a fool of themselves posing or you know people get embarrassed especially on these sport boats they sometimes they don't want to pose and they don't want uh they don't want to seem like they're excited about fishing and that's something we joke about in the office here is there's, there's kind of a weird stigma about being excited about fishing when you're fishing. And it obviously Mm -hmm. depends on the crowd, but there's some guys that are afraid to show how excited they are about fishing. And I think taking a good photo is just, it's the first step in, first of all, getting, getting a cover in Western outdoor or on Western outdoor news, uh, but also getting your picture featured at all in Western outdoor news. It just, take the extra couple seconds and, and let's get a good pose and interesting ankle, you know, storytelling with your photos. And, uh, we'd love to use them and we'd love to show the world about your catch. But, uh, some of these people, you'd be shocked the photos we get with heads cut off and the fish aren't even showing in it. And it's just, it's almost because they were afraid to take that extra minute to set something up and take a good photo. Mm -hmm. Well, I got about 50 photos. I'll send you. You can pick one of those. There you go. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have mounds of photos over here, but, uh, it's, it's actually funny to, to comb through the ones that people send in. Sometimes you're like, okay, the fish isn't even showing. You're cutting half the thing off. We can't yeah. use this. Uh, it's a record catch, but we can only see its head. It's so it's kind of, uh, it's, it's always interesting.
2: So but. With, with Western Outdoor News, it's been around for a long time. And have you seen a difference in, because you guys offer both subscription where you can hold it in hand and an online subscription. Mm-hmm. Me personally, I'd rather have the, the one I can hold in hand be, just because Western Outdoor News is what it is. And have you seen a, a bigger change from versus the online or the pub, actual publication? Oh, absolutely.
1: I mean, generationally, uh, there is a certain age where a guy or a girl over a certain age says exactly what you just said. And they say, well, I got to hold it in my hand. I want to flip through the pages. And then there's a certain age and below that say, well, can not I just get this on my iPad? Sure. Of course you can. But uh, as somebody like you or I who grew up holding it in our hands, uh, you, you really can't beat that for our generation right. of, of people who grew up with this this way. But of course, the younger generations coming in, and uh, we've seen, especially in the past year since I've been here, the, uh, the digital subscriptions that we have, have just been increasing exponentially, because there is something to be said about the speed and convenience of well, I could just, I can open it right here on my iPad and flip through the pages. And there it is no trash at the end. I don't have to, you know, keep my collection anywhere. It's all right here. It's stored on my stored on my device. So, Mm uh, it's, it's definitely a generational thing. And I don't think there's any combating that for somebody that's grown up holding it in my hand for, for, I mean, years holding it in your hand, you can't really you can't really replace that feeling. So I totally understand that, but, um, yeah, the transition into the digital age has been interesting to see from the inside here because there's our diehards. They're not going to, they're not going <laughs> to open up, a a web browser, but of course the new generation coming in into Western outdoor news, uh, has embraced it.
0: Yeah. And, you know, having both or offering both is kind of, you know, it's smart because, not only are you, you know, still kind of um uh, cur- what's the word? Basically uh servicing the the older generation, the ones that have been around for a long time and still love getting that paper copy, but then you're also kind of adjusting for the new up and up and coming generation to where you can get it online too and and offering both smart strategy.
1: Well, hey, I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean it. I guess in a way it's kind of your future as well with not only the online subscriptions, but then also the podcast as well. Um, where it's a little bit more. I mean, you can say the same thing about um any any online or in any paper news source to where it's it's gotta have that online component too. Oh,
1: of um, course. So yeah, my- and it, it doesn't even just end with the with the digital version of our paper and the podcast. Uh, a lot of things that are taken for granted by a lot of people is uh is our social media presence and our continuous uh, feeding the machine of social media, so to mm-hmm. speak. So of course, we still post breaking news on social that, we won't have to wait to uh, uh, to put it into the paper. We we need this out ASAP. Like earlier this week, the first Dorado of the season was caught. So we threw up a breaking news banner and said, oh my gosh, guys, we got the first Dorado on a sport boat this season. And of course, that's breaking news right there on the spot. So we're trying to serve all, all audiences, of course. And uh, it's just one piece of the giant puzzle that is uh, a news company here.
0: Okay, so I have speaking of that, I do have a question. And for just to kind of give us a glimpse of the the inroads of Western outdoor news and all that. Can you kind of break down simplistically, like what the whole process is behind putting out a, like, I guess, a, a paper issue? Um, throughout yeah. the week?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so First of all, we have tons of writers. I said we had a a small crew here in the office, but we have a very long list of writers that contribute to Western Outdoor News. So we essentially have boots on the ground across the whole West Coast, all the way down to Baja, and they're continuously feeding us information, stories, photos. And they are our eyes on the ground. They're watching everything that's going on out there. They're fish counts. We have Merit, of course, our saltwater editor, who's mm-hmm. uh, constantly feeding us information and photos. And that all gets compiled. And Monday is our go-to-print day. So over the weekend, uh, we see the fish counts. We see... Um, the lake reports we have our uh our form charts that have been around since 1953 that we continue to update every single week and we compile all this information uh the incredible crew that we have here compiles the crew or uh, compiles the stories and uh and put it together on monday and then the puzzle really begins because now it all has to fit into our paper which you know is somewhere in the thirty-page to forty-page range, and wow, that's, that's where the <laughs> that's where the magic happens. So, 40, 40 pages a week, let's say thirty-five to forty pages a week, we are uh, compiling, putting it together. It goes to print on Monday nights. Tuesday, we get a test copy here in the office and Tuesday it also gets delivered to everybody's post offices. And then that's when it makes its way to the newsstands and your mailbox and everything. And then just like that, the whole process starts again for next week. So the the boards, the boards get scraped on Tuesday morning and we start again from scratch. (laughs) So (laughs) it's such an incredibly well-oiled machine. It's, it's, it's insane. I mean, think about every lake that we have in the paper, every uh, every region for salt water, uh, every hunt story that comes across our desk, it all gets compiled and put together every week. And then we strike the boards and we start again. So it is, it's truly uh, an incredible thing. And we're talking in the digital age now where people are able to email this, but there's something mm-hmm. that Uh, It just baffles me. The more I think about it, I can't even imagine what this paper looked like uh, from a production standpoint in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, even the 90s, when uh, we had to get these reports and they'd mail them in and film and, uh, you know, cutting with paper and scissors. And uh, it was a way more physically demanding uh, newspaper than it is now. I mean, we open an email attachment and it's as easy as that. But uh, the, the lineage of the whole production process here is mind-boggling. I truly can't imagine what it was like at the beginning of this newspaper.
0: I was going to ask. So when when it comes to content, at least, especially with the internet and, and all that, and the ability to, to just basically write in, basically emailing, do you think it's easier today to basically compile content and it's really just kind of seeing what what's going to make the cut and what doesn't versus, I guess, say maybe 20 years ago to where it's pretty much you're kind of scrapping or, or trying to get anything content-wise in a timely manner, too?
1: Oh, absolutely. I think anybody here could, uh, could imagine that, like that Dorado report on Monday, just let's use that as an example. We, we saw the fish counts. We see the Dorado show up and we, we contact the captain for the photo and he emails it back to us. Boom. We have the story up on social media in, uh, in minutes, minutes, (laughs) let's call it minutes. Yeah. And, uh, think about that same situation back in 1975. Okay. Well, nobody can just call up and say, "Well, here's, you know." Did they, did we're, they have we're, photos back then? I, they, I think they did. It might have <laughs> been a painting. You were, you were
0: born in that realm, right? I was a
1: year old in seventy-five. <laughs> there you go. I, it, it's more of like a sketch. You know, it was like a courtroom yeah. sketch. <laughs> no, it's, but but I mean, just think of the uh, the logistics on that. They'd have to have somebody with a camera. With film, get it developed, get it to us, mailed to us with the information right. Uh, get it onto a piece of paper with a caption, and that would have been uh, that would have been days. I mean, probably a week at that point. But it's uh, it's pretty incredible how quickly we're able to get information out there these days.
0: Yeah, for sure. And with your team of writers, I know you mentioned Merritt. Um, you know, Mike Stevens, Blake. Mm-hmm. And they're all incredible, man. For, for sure. You gotta, you really have the, uh, the A-list when it comes to riders in the, in the, uh, sport fishing community for sure.
1: Oh yeah. No, I, I, I say that and I take zero credit for it. These guys were all here when I was here. So, (laughs) so I, um, we do have some new additions, Ben Harvey Murray. He, uh, he, if you listen to the podcast, he has a British accent and he is a incredible surf fisherman. He's a, he's been a new addition. He was brought on by Mike Stevens and, uh, it, we we do have new people coming in, but of course the the names and the legends that you guys know that are in the paper now, uh, they're not my doing. They were here when I got here.
0: Oh, <laughs> uh, you're too modest, Brad.
2: Too oh, modest. I know. <laughs> so, <laughs> I got a question for you. I see that the, you guys did an article about the Desert Springs Trout Farm uh, getting the contract to stock Mono County with trout. Yes. Due to what's going on with our hatcheries here. Do you think we're ever going to get a, a hold on that? I mean, it's oh my been gosh. year after year after year that something's happened at our hatcheries.
1: Well, you know what? The good thing is that when something bad happens with the hatcheries, they take it off of our of our fishing licenses, right? They We get a discount.
0: oh
1: yeah yeah sure yeah right no so this has been a continuous problem these bacterial outbreaks at these dfw hatcheries uh it has been plaguing to to use kind of a play on words but it's been plaguing the uh the the trout hatcheries and thankfully that there's you know send in the calvary but like i don't know if we're ever going to get a hold on this uh in the near future um of course, I would like for uh, for this whole bacterial outbreak to, to be fixed. But, you know, when you read our comments, when we posted about that story, that's a dangerous place to go, the comment section. But yes, it is. a lot of people think that there's there's more at play here and there's, there's something more to it. Uh, of course, we're just here to report the facts, of course. But um, I, I think that there is undeniably work that needs to be done with the, the whole hatchery system that we have with our, uh, department of fish and wildlife. Uh, and I think they would even say that too. I, I can't imagine that they're happy with this, uh, with the result of all of this, but who knows, maybe they are. <laughs> I, I don't know. I it's, it's truly, um, it's devastating for our whole industry and especially for the Eastern Sierra. And it's a good thing that, that we are, uh, we're seeing other hatcheries step in and get contracts and be able to to supplement this but nobody wants to see that nobody wants to see that many fish go to waste uh especially for the eastern sierra and for for any body of water that takes these trout trout stockings it's uh it's pretty devastating
0: yeah it is when it comes to hatcheries and and all that stuff obviously we have the the one that we were with at cca is the hub sea world research institute in san diego by the way have you been there brad i
1: haven't been there uh but we have actually spoken to quite a few people involved with the with the hatchery there
0: okay well we need to change that you got to go you got to go take a tour fascinating stuff i've never been there
2: either maybe we should go together oh i know we probably don't
0: like you darren (laughs) um but anyway when it comes to the hatcheries uh, you know specifically speaking saltwater um the white sea bass deal which um i think you know western Outdoor news repeatedly covered this brand new genetic study with the white sea bass program and all that um did i'm guessing that probably took off quite a bit in the in the in the one community right
1: oh it did yeah absolutely the the success that they were able to uh to achieve on that at at hubs is incredible. And one of our first guests actually on the podcast was Bill Shedd. Of course, everybody knows Bill Shedd and uh, he had talked about the, uh, the success and how much effort and energy that they're putting towards the white sea bass hatchery. And finally seeing the, the good news that everybody kind of suspected, but it was, we're actually able to quantify the success of that hatchery. It's, it's just been, it's been a, a really interesting story to watch and it's something that I'm sure they're all very proud of. I was going to say, it's something to be very proud of, but mm-hmm. I, again, I, we're just a spectator here, but they should definitely be really proud of everything that they've been able to accomplish there with the, with the white sea bass hatchery.
0: Mm-hmm. So you kind of touch on something that I want to go into When it comes to reporting, you know, obviously you guys report the facts and all that and, you know, in my opinion, how media really should be nowadays. I mean, nowadays it's very opinionated and everything depending on whoever you watch. But um, long story short, when it comes to something like fishing, which we all love yourself, and I'm sure, I mean, if your writers weren't in fishing, they might – I mean, I'm guessing they they do love fishing because they're in the industry and all that stuff – yeah. How does that play being, I guess, um, subjective in all the writing and all that? Like, how does that play in terms of uh, trying to keep the facts straight and all that versus, you know, anyone could go say fishing is so great, your writers included. But at the same time, if fishing wasn't so great, just using that as an example, fishing obviously is great. But how, yeah. how does how do like your writers? kind of be subjective in your, in your articles, I guess. Well, so. Of
1: course we're talking about fishermen and it's the old stereotype that fishermen are liars and they're going to stretch the truth and tell you that they were <laughs> doing one thing you guys would never do anything like that I would I, no, I would no, never no. suspect it We're uh, angels. You only report your fish on IGFA scales that have been certified by a third party in a lie detector test. Uh but as you can imagine like I'm joking around right now but you can imagine we get we get reports from everybody. And that sometimes includes people that uh, are trying to game the system here. And the the really interesting thing, because I I always wondered that working outside of here and now I see it on the inside, the truth seems to always come out Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to name any names here, but there are, there are reports that come in and it kind of leaves us scratching our heads and, a couple of phone calls as you can imagine we're all very well connected with lakes and people who work at tackle shops and the truth I have noticed has always come out so mm-hmm. whether it's somebody who's trying to claim that they caught this you know 20 pound striper at this other lake and that, but their background looks like a different lake well we'll we'll certify that with a couple of people and if it seems suspect uh we either won't run it or if we had run it and gotten the truth later we'll do a redaction but uh it's really interesting to see how the truth really does come out even even though some fishermen, are liars. Uh, the truth does prevail, and uh, I'm sure there's people listening to this saying, "Well, back in '84, you guys showed this one guy, and he did this." And I, you know, <laughs> there's it, there's there's things that slip between the cracks, but of course, uh, I've I've seen a majority of the truth uh, come out when it comes to being subjective and reporting the facts. And, you know, this guy caught this at this lake or on this lure or whatever it might be. It's really interesting how, uh, how lies don't travel very far. I don't, I don't think they do.
0: (laughs) That's true. That's so true. Well, switching gears a little bit. I know I've, I've noticed the last at least year or so that Western outdoor news has put a lot of emphasis into charters And Mm -hmm. where, you know, I think I've I've saw either the other day or on one of the issues, past issues or whatnot, where you listed out every single Western Outdoor News charter. What can you kind of give us the rundown as to why that is and how many charters there are and and what are left and how we can get on?
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. So there's dozens of charters that we have here at Western Outdoor News uh, throughout the year. And uh, of course, it, it only makes sense, right? If we're reporting on uh, on these uh, these landings and these boats, it, doesn't it make sense that we're on them every so often? I I mm-hmm. kind of think it does. So I do too. I think that's that's essentially where the idea came from: is well, why don't we make the news ourselves sometimes, and let's go out on a charter and uh, and report back. So on every single charter that we have, we send a writer. So you know how earlier in the show I was saying, Oh, well, can you guys take really good pictures and take the extra second to take good photos? Well, we solved that for you. If you go on a one charter, we send a a writer out with a camera and their whole purpose is to report what is being caught and how it's being caught. Uh, but to also get those great photos because those charters are going to be covered by Western outdoor news. And, uh, and if you're on that boat, then your odds of making it in the paper or, you know, possibly even on the cover, depending on what you caught, are much higher. So, of course, with that, it also comes, you know, the goodie bags for everybody on the boat because we have all of our incredible sponsors. So when everybody gets onto a wand charter, you know that there's going to be a wand rider and you're going to get a bag of stuff that uh, that you can use for that trip or trips in the future. So again, we have dozens of them. Uh, we even have one next week. Uh, it's actually a three boat charter. It's the channel Island shootout. So it is the Pacific Eagle, the Island spirit and the Californian. And, uh, those two of those boats are already sold out. There's some spots left on the Californian, but, uh, I mean, we even have a four-pack charter from Central Coast Fishing Charters. That's July 16th. I'm just going down the list just to show you guys we have just a a wide array of charters. Uh, The Triton Gale Force at the end of July, July 20th. Um, The Toronado, some fun. I mean, all across the whole West Coast. And we even have some that go down to Cedros, that go to Alaska, Baja Fishing Convoys. So... Really, if you're looking for that fishing adventure and you want a Western Outdoor News reporter, it's almost like traveling with a National Geographic photographer, right? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to have a good time, but you know that they're (laughs) going to get great photos, great coverage. And you know that uh, you're going to hopefully catch really good fish because it's a, it's a one charter. So So
0: basically, long story short, if you ever want a shot, well, not a shot, but if you want to decent shot at maybe getting in the magazine like go on a one charter
1: oh for sure yeah they're all covered uh so after the trip uh of course most of the trips are really good fishing so we end up uh with our writer who's on board that writer co- goes home after the trip and compiles all the photos writes the article and lands in Western outdoor news nice. nice tell me tell
2: me a little bit more about the uh the Alaskan ones I want to know about that
1: Oh yeah. So we, we do Kingfisher charters and, uh, I can tell you all about it, but it's one of our trips that sells out extremely quickly.
0: That's (laughs) not surprising. Yeah.
1: Yes. So that one's got a wait list, but yeah, Kingfisher charters, they've been with us for a very long time. And, uh, I'm sure people that are listening to this might have even gone on that trip uh, throughout the years. it's uh it's one that I personally would love to go on. Pat McDonald, who's a uh, uh, obviously a legend here at Western Outdoor News. He generally goes on that trip. so uh you're you're spending time in Alaska with Pat, who's, you know, everybody knows Pat and uh, and then you have a chance to be in Western Outdoor News if the fishing's good enough, right?
0: I was going to say, have you been up to Alaska, Brad?
1: I have. Um, not to fish, though. I um, My sister was working on the Alaska Marine Highway up there and on one of the ferry boats. And uh, she, we, I went up there and went to Sitka and all these places. But, of course, I, I wasn't fishing. And that, <laughs> that seems to be my story. It's like <laughs> I'm in these perfect places, but I'm not fishing. How about you guys? Have you guys been?
2: No, that's a big bucket list item for me. That's why I was asking. <laughs> oh yeah, get up there for sure. I, it is
1: a whole other world and if I had the time and a fishing rod, I would have made incredible memories, I'm sure. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I,
1: get it on I, the list.
0: <laughs> I'm on the same boat as you, Brad. I've been up there once, but it was on a cruise ship. So, oh, okay. Yeah, not really too much time to fish, but uh, yeah, definitely on the bucket list for sure, and hopefully that happens sooner rather than later.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Hell, we should all go. You want to go to Alaska, Brad?
1: Let's let's do it. I know a guy.
0: Yeah, (laughs) I bet. 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 Well, going well. Moving on from charters, I know that you guys do a huge tournament down in Kaba, right?
1: Oh yeah. Yep. It is the Cabo Tuna Jackpot. It's actually the world's biggest tuna tournament. And, uh, last year we had a payout of over $1.4 million. So it is, it is the world's biggest tuna tournament and, uh, it's absolutely incredible. I've, I've now gone for two years in a row before I officially worked here. I went down there to to check it out just for the spectacle of it all and of course that was during covid so it wasn't much of a spectacle because you know the world was locked down but uh last year it was in full swing and we had an incredible shotgun start our first place team salty k won over 800,000 dollars just for their team uh wow. and yeah so just one portion of that 1.4 million 800,000 of it went to uh to team salty k and uh it, it's just the camaraderie down there, the teams, they come all dressed up, the, uh, the, the shotgun start. If, if you're listening to this, or if you two have never experienced the shotgun start, uh, it, it literally makes the hairs on the back of my neck, like stand up because it is incredible. I mean, 167 boats, setting off at the same time on one spot in Cabo of all places. It's, it's beautiful. And it's a, it's a, it's a dance that they uh, that they do at these shotgun starts. And uh, we actually something unique for our tournament. We have a start boat that even if you're not fishing in the tournament uh, for a $40 donation to charity down there, uh, you get, onto our start boat. It's a double decker catamaran with a DJ and, uh, just all sorts of people dressed up for their teams and cheering everybody on. And it's almost like a stadium for fishing. And in the fishing world, that doesn't happen very often. Of course, at some of these bass tournaments, we have like stadiums and we have people watching, Mm -hmm. but in the saltwater world, this is as close as you can get to a stadium for a salt tournament. And, uh, this double decker catamaran that we go on is, it is one of the most incredible experience of my life experiencing that. And I, I get to look forward to it every year now forever. So, uh, that's our Cabo tuna jackpot start boat. And this year it's, it's always the first week of November. So this year it's November 2nd through 5th down in Cabo and I, of course, I want everybody to fish in it and experience the whole thing and have your shot at winning $1.4 million. But mm. if you can't fish it and you don't have a boat, we've got one and you can come down and experience a shotgun start on the water surrounded by last year, 167 boats. Pretty, it was just incredible.
0: Wow. I so. mean, I, that's so cool, man. I i have the, 4 I'm fortunate enough to run our tournaments up here for CCA and all that tournaments and charters and everything. I can only imagine the type of logistics you have to face with the Cabo t- tournament.
1: <laughs> yeah, I I don't want to underplay it. Uh, there's, we're also talking international and language yeah. barriers and uh, different government entities that uh, are all at play with that tournament. So it, uh, truly, even I'm amazed when it actually goes off without a hitch like it did last year and and we had the shotgun start and everybody goes out and you're like wow I really hope the fishing's good <laughs> <laughs> oh, and it, it was last year I mean their team they weighed in I I, I believe it was a 263 pound uh, yellowfin so it was oh my a gosh yeah it was a good year a big yellowfin yeah yeah it was a good tournament And the the funny thing is a lot of people ask, they say, well, okay, but how much does it cost to even fish in something like that? A team entry into the Cabo tuna jackpot, the base entry just to be part of the shotgun start to be able to win. So you're fishing for two days, you have the awards dinner, you have all this other buildup to this event. And for a team of four guys, uh, $250 each. And then of course, you know, your boat and everything. I know that's not the only cost that you incur, but for a very low cost, you get to experience the biggest tuna tournament in the world. So I'm always just, I'm shouting from the rooftops, like guys for, for, (laughs) for only a thousand bucks, you can experience like the coolest tuna tournament, the biggest tuna tournament in the world. It's, uh, it's shockingly affordable. I, I always tell people.
0: Yeah. And you know, when it comes to the tournaments, at least and all that, I've had the good fortune of working with, um, with one's own Billy Egan and yeah. uh, he, he's such a, he's such a cool guy. Good, good tournament guy. Oh yeah, no,
1: absolutely. And I'm speaking of, uh, another tournament we have is the, uh, the first week of November and it's kind of modeled after the Cabo tuna jackpot. It's a California tuna jackpot and we're taking the same idea and of Cabo and we're bringing that to San Diego. This is the third year that it's run and, uh, it's being run out of the Marlin club in San Diego. The entry for that one for a team of four is only $400. So for a hundred bucks a guy, you guys can win up to $7,000 based on 50 teams. And you get that same experience. We're doing a shotgun start and tons of cash, tons of prizes. And it's basically, uh, the starting point for turning San Diego and Southern California into this Cabo tuna jackpot experience.
0: That's cool. And, you know, with the, with the Marlin club being right there and, and, you know, so much history behind that place too, and all that I've noticed on your guys's part to where, you know, you really have a strong relationship as do we at CCA with the San Diego Marlin club. It's uh, such a great place oh my gosh yeah
1: and if you guys haven't even if anybody listening hasn't even stopped in there to look at their old trophies and pictures and memorabilia that they have at the marlin club in san diego it's like it's a museum it's like you can walk around and look at every little thing it's such a cool little um uh a club that they have there it's it's honestly one of my favorite places that we hold tournaments for sure
0: oh for sure for sure Well, speaking of CCA, I know in the, you know, in the last couple of years, especially with, uh, you know, with yourself, Brad, and even with Chuck before you, um, the relationship between CCA and Western outdoor news, um, you know, from speaking for myself, it seems to be super, super strong. And we definitely appreciate all the support you've given us, man.
1: Oh my gosh. No problem. I mean, without you guys, our, our industry would be in a very different place. So the CCA it, we have a great relationship because uh, first of all, us having a great relationship means a greater fishery for the entire West coast here. Uh, so I, this is, of course, we're going to keep a, uh, a tight relationship with the CCA and do whatever we can, uh, to spread the word and, uh, ensure that our fishing industry has a future.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with, with that support, I mean, you kind of, (laughs) this might sound horrible, but you actually basically, you know, with with the help of Blake and Mike and and the staff over at One, you really kind of let us have, for lack of a better phrase, free reign over, you know, editorials and, and all that. Where if there's something, you know, breaking news or any press releases that we need to get out or whatever, you're always the first call. And you, you know, to this day, you've always stepped up to the plate in publishing them.
1: Yeah, no, I I appreciate the quick action on your guys' side because, like I said, we have a ton of riders with their boots on the ground, but nobody really has their boots on the ground quite like the CCA and, uh, and you, Chris, you know, in particular, of course, you guys have a totally different... Uh, vantage point on what's going on in our industry that not a lot of people have immediate access to. So I appreciate you guys thinking of us first, but we we appreciate more of what you guys do uh, for for the industry and fishermen. Now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. I know, you know, we, we cross paths quite a bit, especially during the trade show season and all that um, with you know, PCS this past year. And I know you guys had a big hand in Fred Hall, which unfortunately got, um, got canceled this year. Um, Well, yeah.
1: So I, you know, I I'll tread lightly on, on any of that talk with the, (laughs) with the Fred Hall show. You know, I, I, we like everybody in the industry. I, I think we all wanted a, a Fred Hall show to come back. And last year, whatever happened happened and the show did not go on, but I think we can all agree that we have incredible memories at the Fred hall show. And of course, if the Fred hall show were ever to come back again, uh, we'd love to recreate those memories and create them for a whole new generation. And something that we did right when the show was canceled, uh, with the podcast, uh, instead of kind of jumping on the negative train that some of our, uh, some of our uh, social media comments were, were jumping on, we decided to get everybody in the office and we got around the microphones and we just told our stories of, you know, you, you know, you're at the Fred Hall show when X, Y, or Z happens.
0: I remember that. That was cool.
1: Yeah. So I, I was trying to approach that as like, Hey, let's be happy for the times that we had, and let's not so much focus on the ne- negativity that was going on next year or last year with the uh with the cancellation at the last minute that i know left a lot of people um very bummed out including ourselves here at the office so uh, of course, the, the the future of the Fred Hall shows, from my understanding, is a, a question mark. I, I don't think there's really much to be said at this point in time, but next year is going to be, I believe, a really interesting year to mm-hmm. see where everything landed because, uh, again, we're wondering, like everybody else, kind of what's what's going on, and uh, and that kind of leads us to something that's going on later this month in July is icast and yeah. I, I don't you know if you, go. Uh, so i actually won't go this year we have a couple people from our staff that are going this year brad wilson and mike stevens uh but i went last year for the first time ever and have you guys been to icast
0: no uh, no i uh you know every year it's always on my list to go and i just happen to not be able to go just because of scheduling but uh yeah i've heard all kinds of good stuff about it
1: Oh, yeah. so it for anybody listening that hasn't heard of it, it is the the biggest trade show. So you can't just you can't come in and buy anything. It's only a um an industry show. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's in Florida, and this is where all of the big manufacturers come and show their new products. And I remember growing up and, reading about iCast and thinking oh my gosh that would be so cool to go there and see the latest and greatest and the new products this would be so exciting and then last year I was finally able to go and it blew my hat off it was so cool to actually see hey yeah this is a new reel this is a prototype don't touch it too much (laughs) this is just a (laughs) prototype I'm like oh my gosh this is the coolest thing I was like a kid in a candy store so I i I tell everybody if if you have any sort of in at icast to to make the trip out there because that is a sight to behold it is it is so cool to see the newest before before anybody else can of course but we're we're doing our best this year we're going to uh we're going to report on icast and we're going to show uh what we can all expect next year in terms of new gear so everybody can look forward to that coverage too
0: So that was my next question. Does one do anything special for ICAST, like any um, podcast episodes or any video or film or or any reporting on on your end?
1: Yeah, we're going to do like an ICAST recap afterwards with uh, with photos and interviews from all of the, the big manufacturers that we talked about because... I've heard that this year is going to be a really incredible year for innovation. And there's always something new. There's always something kind of gimmicky. Like I'll be honest with you. There's always something that everybody kind of laughs at and goes, all right, that's kind of funny, but that's cool. Uh, and I I can't wait to see that weird stuff. I think that that show really, uh, gets exciting when, when you see that, that new kind of off color, uh, um, uh, technology or piece of gear that, that they have at that show. But yeah, we'll have it all covered in the paper and on the podcast and, uh, at wonews.com.
0: Nice. Very cool, man. You know, something that I kind of want to go back to, and I didn't mean to, uh, stir up anything with the Fred Hall show deal. Um, but I kind of see Western outdoor news and CCA being, you know, almost in the same boat to where, you know, we always say we're pretty much like Switzerland. We don't take yeah, any right. sides. We're not loyal to any brand or any specific brands, or exclusive with expe- uh, exclusive with specific brands or anything like that. We love everybody, we only because we represent everybody. And exactly. I think you know, to to me, it seems like Western Outdoor News is kind of in that same boat, to where you report on anything and everything within the industry, where you can't really play favorites like we can. not
1: Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. And I'll even say we even during the show season last year, we were covering every single show uh, the week before Fred Hall show. I mean, I was at a turkey show in at Lake Henshaw down in San Diego. So to say that, like, we're, you know, one party or the other uh is uh is crazy because we I was standing at 5 a.m. at a turkey show at Lake Henshaw. I'm like, if there's a show, we're gonna be there. Like, we need to yeah. we need to report on it and we need to be you know be there as well to uh to get people subscription signups and everything. Because one of the main things we hear is, oh, I you know, I, I used to sign up at the Fred Hall show, but now you know, I'm seeing mm-hmm. you at the turkey show. We were at the Central Valley Sportsman Show in Bakersfield last year, yep. and you know. Like you just said, if if there's a show, we're going to be there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, one other question that I had for you, Brad, is, you know, obviously you cover freshwater, saltwater, and then the hunting and all that. Is yeah. there any side of those three sides that dominates versus the other two or whatnot? Or is it kind of spread pretty evenly?
1: Uh, well, so... It it is interesting because it depends on obviously the time of the year, mm-hmm. and there are definitely times of the year like last summer. If we weren't talking about bluefin every week, we're missing the we're missing the hype, right? I mean, with that summer that we had last year, yeah. if if we weren't talking more about that than we were about uh, you know other topics, then we would be doing our readers a disservice because of how incredible fishing was last summer uh and then how it's stacking up to this summer as well i'm not downplaying this year but uh of course like hindsight last year of course we had to talk about that incredible bluefin bite that everybody was on uh and then of course when the winter comes that's hunting picks up so it's almost like a a sliding scale as Mm. as seasons come and go and as the stories present themselves uh we have to cover all the bases so we we try to do that the best we can
0: and when it comes to the content creation and all that, do you have specific Well, I'm sure you probably do have specific writers for specific topics where you have a, a hunting guy. Obviously, you have multiple saltwater guys, a sport boat guy. Uh, you know, I think Jonathan Rolden from Tail Hunter Sport Fishing is your mm-hmm. Maha guy and all that stuff. You kind of have yeah. multiple writers playing the same or playing different hats.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we have Steve Comis on the gun side. He's been writing for us for decades and uh, still in our monthly Cal guns and hunting section. You can see Steve Comis with his latest gear reviews and tips and techniques. And, you know, he's our gun guy with Tim Hovey, who's also a, a hunter and our big hunting writer that we have here at Western Outdoor News. And then, like you mentioned, Jonathan Roldan, he's Uh, He does our Baja Bites column or his Baja Bites column at the end of each paper. Uh, It's 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 a fine dance that we that we like to partake in. It's like there's all these different contributors and we're trying to give everybody the real estate in the paper that they deserve. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we try to cover every base.
0: Yeah, I mean, just just reading the paper every single week and the online edition and also the physical copy too and all that. I mean, there's gotta be so many different elements to consider when it comes to content, pictures, advertising, you name it.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's just that's just the editorial side. And then there's the advertising side, and and then we get a picture that we want to use, but it's grainy and a guy's Faces cut off, and you know, so like <laughs> hey, that's where I'm coming with. Uh, with the easier you guys can make it when you're sending your pictures in to have a great photo. Oh my gosh, we can we can place that thing and and you know, fit more into more content into our paper for sure.
0: So, moral of the story if you get anything from this podcast episode, <laughs> take a bit, just take a great photo of your fish, you never know. Yeah, guys. Take a couple seconds. Take a good photo. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Well, since we're on photo taking, do you prefer the horizontal orientation or the vertical?
1: Oh, it depends on the situation. Okay. But I will tell you, if you want it on the cover, vertical is the way to go.
0: Really? Yeah. Interesting. Oh, I guess that makes sense with the layout.
1: Yeah. So so we've gotten them sometimes where we'll, we'll make it work, but... If you have that vertical shot, that's that's your ticket to a cover.
0: So basically, when you're when you're taking a photo of your phone or with your phone, vertical means it basically you're using it. You're just holding it up. Whereas horizontal, you turn it ninety degrees and it's more flat.
1: Exactly. Yep. So, you know, interesting poses. I know there's only so many ways that you can pose with a fish, but uh, you'd be surprised. There's people with new and interesting poses and backgrounds and, uh, something to differentiate from the giant stack of photos that we, that we have of guys just, you know, holding the fish, wherever it lies, it's, it's whatever you can do to make yourself stand out. That will be the ticket to making it into Western outdoor news.
0: Do you, I mean, since you've been there and, and obviously since, you know, you've, you've followed Western outdoor news forever, Do you, is there like a cover that kind of stands out to you, like your favorite cover or your, your, the most proud edition that you've had since you've been there or anything like that? Anything stand out to you?
1: Ah, that's a great question. Um, there are so many that stand out, uh, if first and foremost, I, I love a good trophy shot, but the ones that honestly stand out to me are more of those those lifestyle shots. So we have one hunting shot and we have it blown up really big here on our walls here at the offices. Um, It's of a hunter walking with her golden retriever dog in the uh, kind of in a little Creek. And it is just such a cool photo and it tells such an interesting story. She's walking with a bunch of birds over her shoulder. She's got her dog there. It's just like, it's paints such a great photo or uh, paint such a good picture. But um, the the one that I would say that I'm the most proud of is the the cover of that team that won the Cabo Tuna Jackpot, Salty K on the cover with their catch that got them over $800,000. Just because nice. the story that went behind that, the effort, the energy, you guys see it in your mailbox, but <laughs> there's so much that went into that photo. And to get that team there at that time, With that fish and that amount of money, it's just, there's, if a picture could tell, uh, you know, a thousand words, that thing is 50,000 words. It's, it is such an incredible thing to see that finally come to fruition. My first Cabo tuna jackpot.
0: That's so cool, man. That's so awesome. This, this is kind of like a weird question, which I never really thought about until recently, but with the nature of our sports, whether it's hunting or fishing or whatnot, there's you know obviously the, all of us love it and we understand the importance of it of fishing and you know it has so many different benefits for so many different um, people but there are some people out there that are totally against it against hunting against fishing and all that and usually when you know when we're doing a trophy catch or or documenting that in a in a photo form or anything like that, and it's on the front cover. Do you ever find yourself like in a public area to where, you know, oh, I have a picture of two dead fish and all that. And people might give me dirty looks or anything like that. So that, <laughs> does that ever pop up uh, for you?
1: Oh, I mean, I've, I have people in my own family that say, oh, my gosh, I can't believe <laughs> there's a dead deer on your cover. That's so sad. And then they yeah. they go and, you know, buy Jimmy Dean sausage at the local <laughs> at the local <laughs> store. So who's the bad guy here? I don't know. But I mean, same thing goes with fishing. Of course, if there's, uh, it, there's, there's literally people in my family that I'll get calls from and say, can you stop sending me this stuff? I I I've had to unfollow you on social media, this, this fish, and then they'll go out to sushi and, you know, and that's fine. But I, I, I've had to explain it a million times. I'm sure anybody that's listening mm-hmm. to this, that's a fisherman, you have to explain it to some of these people that, you know, what we're doing isn't, we're not the bad guys here. Mm -hmm. And it's crazy to have to keep fighting that battle, especially working at a place like Western outdoor news. Uh, of course people in the industry get it. It's the people outside that Mm -hmm. outside looking in, they just, they cast their first, uh, their first opinion that's not really well thought out. And, uh, yeah, it, it just takes some explanation, and I think they end up coming around, or they just say, "Okay, great," but I'm still gonna, I'm still gonna judge it. But I, I don't get it.
0: Yeah, and I wasn't really planning to ask that question; it just popped up to where it's like, it, to me, I wouldn't even think twice about it. I'm sitting at the car wash or somewhere public or whatever, and I pull out a, an issue of Western Optor News, and <laughs> all of a sudden I look over and I see like there's the old lady over there giving me the dirty look because there's a a dead fish right on the cover and i'm like okay whatever yeah that's just me uh, yeah i was just curious to see if uh if you've ever gotten any flack uh from it or hear of any stories
1: no and the other thing i try to think of too is it, it's coming from a place of th- they've also never caught a fish and you can't even explain that to somebody that's true and to say I had to do it when I, when I left my job at NBC and people said, oh my gosh, you're going to go, you're going to go leave NBC to go work for this thing that, that promotes fishing and oh my, like they're saying it like it's a bad thing. And I'm like, okay, well, these people, some of them haven't spent a day on the water or caught a fish or experienced the outdoors like you and I have and one day on the water and one fish in their hand and they're going to say oh okay I get it
2: yeah exactly yeah so you brought up uh the awesome bluefin bite we had last year you know every year I mean it seems to be getting better every year for us what do you think is going to be the biggest bluefin caught this year cuz they just seem to get bigger and bigger every year Oh, geez.
1: You know, it's a good question. And I, I don't know. I mean, nobody really knows until it happens, but I I hope we can crack the 300 mark this year. That'd be really nice. I mean, yeah. could you imagine? But uh, seeing these reports come in just from this past week, it's been really evident that they're close again. And I, I'm sure we're going to see something big because we had a lot of wind early in the season and it finally is dying off. And these fish are closer right now than they have been in a while. So I'm honestly excited to see what this 4th of July weekend. I know we're recording this early, but, uh, what this weekend is going to, uh, to show us when we get back next week, I'm sure we're going to see something big.
2: I hope so.
0: Yeah. I can only imagine. Well, Brad, before we let you go, there is, I mean, obviously, your the the Western Outdoor News covers so many different topics in freshwater, saltwater, hunting, you name it. You guys are covering it. What is your favorite type of fishing? Are you more of like a bass guy or saltwater guy or freshwater guy? What what's your favorite style of fishing?
1: Well, so I grew up mostly uh, freshwater uh lake havasu local ponds and or not local ponds but local lakes down here in southern california i mean i grew up going to irvine lake you know as sad as it is to see irvine lake not have access to boats these days uh but i'm i was mostly a freshwater guy and then i got into the calico bass scene and fished the saltwater bass series and that opened up the whole world of salt water, and, and then for for a minute I was uh, I was way more into salt than I was into fresh, and I've I've found myself kind of getting more to the freshwater side because something that we haven't really talked about yet is our Juan Bass circuit that we have, and of course it's we're heading into our 40th year of the U.S. Open that takes place this October, and we just had to move it from Lake Mead to Lake Mojave. And I mean, imagine I'm coming into this position. I've been here for a year. I saw the U S open last year at Lake Mead. And then my second year at the U S open, we have to make the gut wrenching move from Lake Mead, where it's been for 39 years yeah. to Lake Mojave because of the low water situation. So, uh, we're keeping an eye, our eye on that. But I mean, to answer your question, I've, uh, I I try to do it all, but, you know, growing up as a freshwater guy and a bass guy, that seems to be where I, where I lean a little bit.
0: Interesting. So you kind of grew up freshwater, you dabbled in the saltwater, and now you're kind of finding yourself back into freshwater. I like it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it might be because time is, uh time is my enemy these days with getting on the water and it might be easier to drive down to a lake than it, than it is to, you know, get a boat. I I don't personally have a boat, so I have to, you know, figure this whole thing out and get out on the salt. So Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it might be a time thing, but, uh, definitely, definitely find myself leaning more on the fresh
0: side. What is your personal best fish out of a freshwater?
1: Oh, geez. I mean, it's probably something <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, <laughs> I, I could be like, you know, every other fisherman and tell you that, oh, well, I got an 18 pounder, but it came off. I'll, you know what? I'll tell you. I'll tell you this story. So my good friend Daniel Albrebert and I, speaking of Irvine Lake, we have a we have our, our like legendary catch that we never landed. So I'll tell you like my one (laughs) fisherman story and I'll get it off my chest. And we're, we're at Irvine Lake. We look across the lake and all these bass boats and these guys that seem to know what they're doing. They're on the other side of the lake, like fishing very intensely on the other side of the lake. I'm in my Coleman crawdad. And I don't know if anybody even knows what that is, but, Coleman, like the cooler company, they made a plastic John boat that I had a trolling motor on. And I'm like, well, I can't get my boat all the way across the lake. I my, this trolling motor battery sucks. I, I'm like, you know, 15 years old. And we are, we're fishing the side of the lake. Nobody else is fishing. And we hook into or I hook into this. What I thought and what I know because I saw it with my eyes was this giant largemouth, and it comes up. And the only thing I could think of saying was, it thing's a coffee can, cause its mouth opened up. It was a large mouth, obviously. And it its mouth looked like a literal coffee can. And then of course my hook popped right out of its mouth. And, and we're oh. like, oh, good old coffee can got away. So <laughs> somewhere in Lake Irvine right now, uh at Irvine Lake, there is. Oh, good old coffee can. He's like our, <laughs> that's he's like name? our unicorn and it, he's out there and I got to go back and find him.
0: <laughs> oh man. I like that. Everyone's got those stories though. <laughs> it, it, it's like almost a rite of passage.
1: Oh yeah. Well, and that's what, I mean, I was 15 at the time and I was like, okay i'm set for life like i need to i need to find this fish back and of course like i've caught largemouth since then but the, the old joke is oh it's nothing compared to coffee can <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness are you a spinning uh spinning real guy or are you bait caster or what, what kind of gear do you use
1: oh of course i mean i started on spinning gear because mm-hmm. i think you kind of have to but yeah. Yeah, i'm definitely a bait caster guy from uh from an early age on i was converted and uh <laughs> uh, you know what's what's funny about that though is I, I, I feel like we're starting to see more people, even in the saltwater side, go more
0: spinning. Okay, so like we it... we talk about this almost every single week, where more and more people are actually getting—I'll uh, call it—courageous enough to go on yeah. a sport boat with the spinning gear. It's it's definitely catching on.
2: But the spinning gears come a long ways. Yeah, that is true.
1: Yeah. I think that has something to say for it as well. I, I was actually just talking to on our podcast, we had Nate, the, um, the tackle manager at HM landing. And I said, you know, what's the, what's the one thing that you see a guy walk down the dock and you go, Oh gosh, not one of these guys. And he's like, honestly, at one point, it was the spinning guys, but then they started catching fish and then more and more people have them. And it's like, it's more accepted now. And it's, it's interesting to see that change in a short window of time.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting because now it's, it's catching on it's easy. And, uh, you know, it, as long as it doesn't really, I mean, I mean to me personally, there's a couple of disadvantages, um, you know, especially when doing big bluefin and we've all seen those videos where someone hooks a freaking 200 pound bluefin on a spinning rod which just absolutely, I mean, do your, do your back a favor and just rest it on, on the, on the rail there. But what you can't,
2: it's true. Yeah. But look (laughs) at Florida that they use it all
0: the time. Yeah. That, that's what, that's what's mind boggling to me, Florida.
1: Well, a lot of things are mind boggling about Florida, but yeah, (laughs) that's one of them. Uh, well, you know, that's speaking of Florida and iCast coming up, and mm-hmm. technology and and uh, spinning versus conventional and all this. The the really interesting thing that I'm, I think we're kind of we're helping to spread the word on this is slow pitch jigging. I mean, that seems to be catching on really rapidly and there's all sorts of new techniques. I mean, with slow pitch jigging, speed jigging, and then on the bass side and freshwater side, there's the bait finesse systems, a BFS that a lot of people are talking about. And companies are, are releasing products, especially for these techniques. And uh, I, I feel like There's so much room for innovation and there's so many different techniques that have come and gone over the years. And it's going to be interesting to see how long these stay or if these become the new norm. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's what I'm really excited about the future uh, in this industry is to see how these trends are going to stick.
0: Well, there's going to be a lot of very interesting, exciting things in the sport fishing industry and all that. And I know you, Brad, at Western After News and and all the writers over there, you guys are going to be right on top of it.
1: Yeah, that's our hope. Yeah, of course.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, Brad, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. We certainly do appreciate you being here making the time. And, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Excellent. Yeah, I had a great time. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Darren. Thank you. Absolutely. One more time, how do we get uh, a subscription? How do we get on a charter? Give us the rundown for Western After News.
1: Yeah, so it's all at wonews.com or westernoutdoornews.com. And uh, you can sign up for a subscription there. You can get a digital subscription, a print subscription. You can sign up for our charters. You can sign up for our tournaments. Again, we have that. That tournament the first weekend of August, the Kaltoona Jackpot, August 6th and 7th, down there at the legendary Marlin Club in San Diego. So for the full Western outdoor news experience, you can head to WONews.com and uh and come fishing with us. I keep saying that. I say that on our podcast. And I'm like, hey, it, literally come fishing with us because we have our writers, we have uh, you know, myself, I'm down there, Billy Egan. We have we have all of our staff. We're 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 at these events, so come fishing with us.
0: Yeah, and speaking of the podcast, anything exciting coming up there in the uh, next couple months?
1: Uh, next couple months? Oh, you think we plan these things out? That's so funny. <laughs> no, we uh, we wait for the news to happen, uh, but yeah, we... We kind of wait to see what the big story is, and then we have an episode about that. So in the next couple of months, actually, uh, I'm hoping to see a bunch of these bluefin stories come in and talk to some guys that are getting uh, getting them out there and have really good success so I can hear straight from their mouth what they're doing so that we can <laughs> get some of these fish on the boat.
0: Yep. And when you hear when you hear about that, just let me know.
1: <laughs> yeah of course yeah. yeah yeah i'll I'll drop you their gps coordinates as well
0: yeah perfect <laughs> perfect and you can find that pretty much every, anywhere you get your podcast right
1: oh yeah yep anywhere you can find your podcast the western outdoor news podcast is uh is there for you each week
0: awesome it's definitely worth uh, subscribing to that for sure thanks appreciate it absolutely darren you got anything else man no i don't awesome well brad once again thank you so much man it's great having you. Thank you so much for all the intel and the conversation. All right. Thank you. Awesome. Well, guys, that is it for this week. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We are certainly grateful for you to be listening to us every single week. And uh, let us know how we're doing in the uh, comments, in the uh, by subscribing to the podcast. Leave a five-star review, anything. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for joining us this week. We will see you guys next week.